0: I'm here with Cobrin and Eric and today we have another awesome recovery story a very special guest the ninja <laughs> ninja how's it going man
1: I'm um, doing good
0: doing good right. yeah cool good. man so today um, <clears throat> we're gonna kind of dive into your story here uh, where would you like to start
1: Um, well, let's see, I guess the best place to start is always the beginning. (laughs) True. And, uh, just like anybody else, um, well, not anybody else, but most people in addiction. Uh, you know, there's some shady things in my past that, um, you know, molestation and whatever that usually sends you down that road of, you know, needing something else or whatever. And numbing yourself out and whatnot uh my yeah everything that anything that i can remember was like from a long time ago you know from being very young to uh, babysitters and stuff and whatnot but yeah other than that like i think the first time i used uh, drugs and alcohol and everything was about like 15. 15? And other than that, like I had a pretty good childhood. Both my parents worked for the most part. Uh, was that you grew up here in Saldana? Yeah, or born or and raised. Or... Okay. Born and raised. And My dad worked on the slope. Uh, my mom um you know, worked all kinds of places. Uh, They both made fairly good money. We didn't have everything we wanted, but we didn't go without too much. So So that's kind of the difference in my story is like, I wasn't raised around drugs and alcohol. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And I grew up in a church and you know, like I didn't have any taste of the world really till I was like probably around 15. Okay.
2: And was that when you started to go... Did you go to a public high school?
1: Yeah, I went to uh, So High. Okay. And... And is that when you started to get your first taste? Yeah, so that's... Actually, uh, the first time I smoked weed was um, with some friends from church. <laughs> sure. It started with cigarettes, you know? Like, I think that's kind of, like, one of the first things kids do, like...
2: Yeah, no, I think that's, like, a popular myth is that, like that stuff, you know, isn't there. Mm-hmm. It is, you know. It's I everywhere. mean, maybe not all as much, or maybe in different
1: forms to some extent, but, yeah, anyway. Yeah. First we started s- sneaking cigarettes at, like, church or whatever, Sunday school, and then... Uh, How old are you then? I was, like, f- 14, 15, right in there. Yeah. Um, and then that, you know, built into smoking weed. Sure. And... I'm that kind of person, like, I like to work, and I work hard for my money, so I never like to spend my hard-earned money on drugs so or alcohol. So you started yeah. pushing some. Yeah, so yeah, uh, right mm-hmm. off the bat, like, uh, I figured, I found it was easy to buy, I think the first thing I bought was, like, a bag. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could sell bowls, and, you know. and buy another bag (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and so yeah it started out like that I mean within like I think a week I was buying an ounce and then that's how it all started Mm -hmm. like I became dependent on it it was something I enjoyed you know like with that all starting like my motivation for school and everything went really downhill I think I was flunking like two classes so at the end of my sophomore year um, they were telling me that I wasn't going to have enough credits to be a junior they had just I think it was the year before they had just made this rule or whatever where like if you don't have the credits to be in the next grade like I was going to have a locker in the sophomore hallway in my third year of high school Dang. so I was like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And uh one of my buddies was uh on probation, had a probation officer, and he had told me about this military school he was gonna go to. Mm-hmm. At the time, like I had my mom look into it and went and did an interview and got into this military school uh like during my junior year. Was that like a Alaska military like youth yep, academy Alaska or something? Alaska like Military that? Youth Academy. Okay. Um so when my friends were starting their junior year i was working as a dishwasher waiting for military school Mm -hmm. and by this time like i had already pretty much been a regular user of cocaine um i had tried methamphetamine Uh, i dropped acid and when we couldn't find cocaine or anything else, we would, like, get my friends' little brother's Ritalin pills.
0: Was that, like, because of the different kinds of people you dealt with or did he, you just kind of fall into the wrong crowd? Well, uh, so on,
1: because of my, uh, I was, like, a really fat kid in high school. Mm-hmm. And, like, I only had maybe a couple friends. One of them was, like, straight up druggy. His dad was a drunk, and his uncle was a drunk. He lived with his grandma but his uh his other uncle was like a retired state trooper. He had like money and whatnot, but just anytime we'd ever go to a party or whatever, like he was the reason we were getting kicked out. yeah, yeah. My other friend was like me. he worked, had a job, he was more kind of like a jock, but didn't play sports mm-hmm. you know, but hung around that kind of crowd, yeah. And so, like, we were all really tight. All my other friends were, um, you know, band members. Uh, I hung around a lot of music, and I mean, around music is drugs, and yeah, that they all kind of like lived in my area. So I mean, it was no problem. Just to, even back then, like, I could walk up the road and buy weed. You know, I was selling weed all the time uh, we were always drinking, partying, like it was a lifestyle. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, really, it seems like it's really becomes like, especially if you're like in high school and, you know, selling to, you know, to keep your own supply, like the friends that I had in high school that sold, I mean, that, that sold often, you know, that, you know, whether it be buying O's or buying QP's, whatever like they're just from one they're from target then they're to this gas station then they're to this gas station and there you know school ends or maybe they don't go to school and they're just from one selling spot to another selling spot to Mm. another one and it's just you know they go to this gas station oh sell a little weed maybe smoke a bowl drive around the block but go to the next place and they're just selling and smoking and hang i mean hanging for lack of a better word you know all day every day and they're you know if you're in high school and you know whether you have a job or if your parents are like you know you're living with your parents and just kind of sneaking all this by somehow like it it's pretty easy to do it so yeah it seems like that it quickly especially if you it's kind of your business you know it is your job like Mm -hmm. it
1: it becomes quite a lifestyle pretty quickly yeah and like you know there was times there where like you know we didn't have the connect or whatever and Mm -hmm. so like you're working you're you know, I got into trouble a lot. Um, Did you get in some legal trouble or were you kind of skirting I, around that? So, because like, uh, you know, the jobs we would get would be like canneries or whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. after cannery work, you're always going out to get oh, yeah. and then like, I think the- Work hard, f- play harder kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, heard that, yeah. And so that was also a place to make money. You could go get your paycheck, go buy an ounce, go back to the cannery and sell, you know, yeah. that ounce Something in that like day. That, yeah. And, uh yeah, you're always looking for that better connection and whoever's going to give you the best deal. And, like, one thing I was known for was, like, my quality. Like, I always looked for the best quality. It was, it was easier to sell. It was... I preferred smoking it myself, so, like, that's what I did. And, uh, like, I think I caught my first... Um, I think it was a DUI I got charged with when I was like 16, maybe 17, somewhere in there. I remember I was working at the cannery, we were partying on the beach. I was sitting in my truck getting ready to take off, but like had the truck started, didn't like go into gear or anything. Was sitting there, it was like kind of cold out, and all of a sudden this cop like walks up, turns his flashlight on, you know, get charged with the DUI. Wow. Lose my license and then, like, go through all that shit. I think I had to do, like, drug and alcohol awareness classes or yeah. something. And then uh, a year later, like, I, I think I got my license back after, like, nine months is when I, you know, paid all the fines, did all the classes. I get my license back and then, like, literally, like, the same month, the next year, I got a minor in consumption, had, um, or a minor in possession, had my, had a keg in the back of my truck. We were driving out to a party, hadn't even tapped it, and like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Lost my license again. Wow. But uh, I had like three licenses in two years. It was kind of crazy. I think um, during that time, uh, one of the months I was driving, I got like, 12 tickets wow yeah um there was this cop like he knew your car dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so that's what happened was like um i was so like just high mm-hmm. profile or whatever that like literally this cop would just pull me over all the time Officer <laughs> <laughs> i hated that dude for the longest time but uh, <laughs> anyways um
0: Cause honestly, from his perspective, man, they're like, we know this kid sells drugs. Yeah. <laughs> there's a chance he's probably speeding, like, he's going 66 and a 65. We're pulling him over every time because there's a chance he could have something, you know, like.
1: Yeah. You know, honestly, like, I wish they would have busted me back then, like, sure. with something, you know, like, that mm-hmm. might, might have, you know, changed my shit around a little bit. So do you think that the part that
0: didn't change it was that the consequences weren't
1: harsh enough?
0: I mean, you took those classes, but it, it didn't sound like there was really anything yeah, with I, holding on to. I took there. those
1: drug and alcohol awareness classes, and then a year later, took the drug and alcohol rehabilitation classes. You went to the youth academy then, yeah? Well, well yeah, I went to Bronco? the youth academy uh, when I was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, got out, you know, kind of f***ed around for like... A couple years, and then I got into the oil field. Okay. And so this, um, after those, like, last couple alcohol classes, I was so busy working. I had, like, I had a kid at 20, or 21, and then I worked in the oil field for about nine years, pretty steady. Wow. It was, like, seven years straight. Or, no, I did, like, three or four years straight, and then I took a year off. And then, because of UA, or no, uh, the company sold out, and yeah, it was UA. So, like, I ended up, they sold out to another company. All we had to do was pass UA for this company to get hired on, and I blew it. Dang, dude. Just like that. Yeah, I was yeah. about to
0: ask, what's your, in that time span, that seven years, yeah. what's your substance abuse look like at that point?
1: Um, at that, so, okay, the coke and everything at 17. Turned into crack cocaine, like, um, and it was weird because like prior to this, I really didn't know what crack cocaine was, mm-hmm. and like I had always said like I will never do crack. I always associated it with a needle and blah blah blah. Well, uh, my parents had gotten a divorce, and I think at sixteen, well, by seventeen, my mom's like going to the bars. She meets a bouncer. And uh, she came home one day from the bar, and like, you know, straight to the kitchen. She's like, "Hey, blah blah blah, you know, try this." And yeah, that's how I started smoking crack. Was uh, I think me and my girlfriend? My girlfriend was like 15 or something. And uh, yeah, we started smoking crack with my mom, and we did that steady for like five years six years like
2: and that's like from what i hear and what i would think like crack is like pretty much the most exhausting drug addiction to have right oh. somebody told me like crack just tastes like more yeah like you just want more like and that's yeah. it like that's isn't it like you only i mean the good rush is what like 10 15 seconds and then yeah. you get like a little you get a few minutes or something after that
1: yeah and, or and something it's like straight back to the yeah
2: yeah um, I mean, that just sounds exhausting. Oh, dude, like... And it's expensive, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially um, probably up here. I would imagine it's super expensive in Alaska.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, because of what I did, like, of course, I didn't just go and buy a crack all the time. Right. Like, I would go buy an ounce of Coke and sell it. All my friends sold Coke. Whenever they would want to get away, they would come to my house and, you know... We would all hang out between me, my girlfriend, and my mom, or me, my girlfriend, and my friend, or something. We would smoke anywhere from 5 to 12 grams a night, probably 3 to 5 nights a week.
0: Dang, bro. Yeah.
1: That's a lot. Um, One year, and this is kind of like, you know, in the midst of my oil field and whatnot. um, I dabbled in some, like, crank Mm -hmm. then, too. But uh, I didn't like the way crank made me feel. Sure, You would do crank, and then, like... Crank is meth, right? Yeah, but it's, like, dirty. Sure. It's bathtub meth. Yeah, okay. Three days later, like, I would still feel the stuff in my body. And, like, after a while of that, like, I was just like, dude, I don't want to do this no more. And then, like, eventually, the crack, even though, like, it still had this huge hold on me, like, I seen what it was doing to my family. Sure. And I just was trying to keep it away from, like, me and, you know, my girlfriend and my kid and whatnot, but my mom was so addicted to it that, like, I would go to work, you know, on the platform or something for, like, a week or two, and she would be doing it with my girlfriend behind my back, you know, and so, like, that really ruined this, like, relationship I had with my mom, because at the time, like, me and her were, like, really good friends, mm mm-hmm best friends I would talk to her about everything mm-hmm. and uh, that just you know ruined a lot of stuff in my life um, my mom didn't finally stop to like a year later maybe two years later um, when she uh, the doctors told her she had like heart problems from it right and so that was like a blessing in a way mm-hmm. um, it took me a while to get away from it completely like people I hadn't even talked to in like over a year would still knock on my door every once in a while and be like, you know, hey, you want to get high? And so, like, to look at something that you love so much in the face and then just be like, you know, no, dude, get the f- out of my house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it you battle yourself a lot of the times. Right. And, like, at this time, like, I would say, like, this is, like, the most manageable my drug use had ever been. Like, I was... A fairly well-functioning addict. Um, I did fail like a UA for work here and there but like I had you know would go years without doing it. I ended up staying away from coke and crack for quite a few years. I just did weed and mushrooms every once in a while. Pretty much I would do whatever you know as long as like it didn't like super inhibit me. Like I didn't really touch heroin or anything like that. Wasn't big into pills. Um, I like to have a good time, but like I didn't like to not be in control, I guess. Sure. I pretty much just stayed steady with the weed for quite a while. Um, Over half the people in the oil field that I worked with smoked. So that's how I would continue my selling is like payday would come, I'd go buy an ounce, sell it to my friends, and then, you know, Mm -hmm. and just keep doing that. And, uh, eventually it sucked because like this whole time in the oil field, like I had built this really good reputation. Um, I was a hard worker, but like I was like limited by the job I was working after working there, like, um, this company, Udelhoven for three and a half years, I went from $18 an hour to $19 an hour. And uh, the guy that I was working under, I had told him, I was like, look, dude, I need more money. Like, this is not cutting it. And he told me, he's like, this is all I can do for you. So I was like, see ya, you know? And I went to the shop, I think it was like the next week, talked to another dude, and he had me in there the next day making 34 bucks an hour.
2: Dang, nice.
1: So I worked this, it was like 34 an hour under one um job contract we were doing and then if I was doing work for this other job it was like thirty one fifty. I did that for like a month and I was like, man, like, I'm still smoking weed. Why am I doing this? Like this is really good money. Like I can take care of my family on this. I can buy a house, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That month's time went by. I'm on my way to work. My buddy calls me, and he says, Hey dude, they're doing UAs in the shop today. And I'm like, oh cool. Well I got my you know synthetic urine right here. Like, not too worried about it. He's like, you know, you can call in sick if you want. <laughs> and I was like, so cocky, have been getting away with this sh- for so long that I was like, I oh, got bro, this. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. I got this. <laughs> yeah. Like, I ain't gonna miss out on a day of work. Yeah. I'm a workaholic. You know. Yeah. I think like the strip or something. Whatever it was that tells you the temperature on. Oh, there, dude. Yeah. Wasn't working, strip. and so like my pee was too hot yeah and like he showed me like pours most of the pee out of the cup and then you like you see the line like drop down cuz it's black at first and then it drops down and you see the color go mm-hmm. and then he takes that little bit of pee in the cup and he like tilts it up on there it's all <laughs> so it was like Probably over 100 degrees or yeah, something. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to be like, oh, I'm not feeling good, you know? Sick. <laughs> I'm sick. Like, i was no, gonna They're but... like, <laughs> we need you to pee again. And I was like, I can't. All right. You're like, I'll pee an adult, again. <laughs> and like, after Dang. everybody was distracted, I was just like, took off out the door. My foreman called me up. He's like, uh, hey, uh, you need to come pee. And I was like, uh, I'll see you later. <laughs> that was it. So I ended up taking, like, a year off of work, pretty much forced. (laughs) Dude, yeah. And that's when, like, I got that last paycheck, and I was like, how the f*** am I going to, you know, pay bills? And I went, like... You still remembered how to sell crack? I remembered how to do everything. I went full-time drug dealer. Sure, yeah. I had a really good weed connection. At the time, there was, like, no weed around here. The weed was, like wet skimpy i i brought this stuff to town that was just like everybody was like oh my gosh you know i actually raised the price of weed at the time you would buy like a wet bag for you know that weighed like three grams for 40 bucks and so i brought this really nice cured good weed down here and was selling it for 20 bucks a gram yeah so 60 bucks for a three (laughs) gram bag yeah (laughs) A lot of people know about the weed. Um, It's called the Gulch. And uh, yeah, it definitely made an impression. Mm -hmm. So uh, after doing, I was selling like a quarter pound a day at the time in bags. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would go pick up a half a pound every other day. And yeah, I was making bank off of that. And I had all this extra money, you know? Mm -hmm. So like anything that would come around like And plus like everybody smokes weed from every, uh, socioeconomic group. Yeah. Yeah. So like you got pill heads that are, you know, don't have money, but want your weed. So they're wanting to trade you pills and Mm -hmm. then like, you know, meth heads, crack heads, Mm -hmm. everything like I'm running into all walks of life. So next thing you know, I'm selling mushrooms, Percocets, hydros, fentanyl, uh, DMT, methamphetamine, uh, yeah. Everything. And everything. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And, like, life was literally a freaking party. Like, I was going up to Anchorage buying Ecstasy and just anything, any good weed that came around, I would buy that up because I didn't want anybody to f*** with my kinda, price. Yeah, you kind of had the I, monopoly on that. I was yeah. cornering the market at the time and, like... That's the crazy <laughs> thing about drugs, man, is, like it's
0: no different from any other form of market like Mm -hmm. you actually there's actually a lot of economic principles that are very similar in like a very black market world as there are in just the everyday stock market you know what i mean like nothing's worth what you buy it for it's only worth what you can sell it for yep you know there's somebody for everything you just got to find the right market once you start hitting the right markets your money's going to keep coming. Yep. And the same thing is as long as you got the best product and you can get the most for the cheapest and still maintain that decent quality, just like any other product people are going to get it. You know what I mean? They're going to want exactly that. A lot of people don't necessarily need the average consumer just wants to get high. You know, they don't necessarily care as much about you know the quality, quality, quality as long as they can find something decent
1: mm. but they can
0: still afford. Yep. And that's just like any other market. So it's, it's funny you, know, you hear people that typically you know you would think like oh yeah they're just this they're just a drug dealer this this like they're obviously a drug dealer they can't be that smart you know what i mean but like there's that's work man like there's a lot of thought that goes into that stuff it's no different than yeah a when lot they of talk other about, salesmen and markets When it gets talk,
1: a lot they, deeper
2: than that too <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah like when they talk politics and stuff and you know you got like everywhere from like a little more regulated regulated market to, on the left to like a little bit less regulated on the right and uh, and then you get the, like your libertarian kind of party, who's like just leave it all alone. But even then, like they, you know, as you talk more and more politics, like the only really like free market that exists today is the black market, yeah. and that's the only unregulated market. I mean, it's regulated in that if it's caught, you know, it'll be. But it, as it functions, as long as law enforcement isn't involved, like mm-hmm. it's the only like peer and free market. So,
1: yeah, like. Because you know, I ran and I'd run into people that didn't want to pay sixty dollars a bag, but right. we want a bag anyways. So yeah. like, I'm like, well, you know, I'm tired of cutting everybody deals. Sure. You know, like everybody else is paying this. I had a guy that would come down from Anchorage and buy eight, ten bags of weed, you know, at a time, and take them up there and sell them for a hundred bucks a piece. Yeah. So it was like, you know.
0: Right, bro, just let me sell you. I'm a
1: businessman. Like, even if like you were my friend, when it comes down to business, like this is business. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how I'm um, feeding my family. This is how like, and at the time, like I didn't even have my family. Yeah, actually. that's what I was
2: gonna say. Like, if you said life is a total party at this point, yeah, where where's your family in that?
1: So, um, I had had my first kid at like 20, right? And then uh, by this time, like four or five years had passed and the mother of my first child was pregnant with my second child and in this party life like you know I mean I'm I bartended for like a year yeah so I met like all these people like when I quit bartending I'd go out to the bar a lot and you know next thing you know like I meet a lady end up leaving my pregnant You know, girlfriend, baby mama for this other lady. And, like, that just completely cut off, like, me seeing my kids at all. Sure. Um, She was really hurt, which I totally understand. I, you know, super move of me. But, like, at the same time, I wouldn't trade that time for anything. I had hurt my back. Uh, I got one bulge, two herniated discs or two bulged one herniated disc and uh, I was like laid up for a time Um, I was on a workman's comp kind of deal they uh, started pushing painkillers on me I started taking those just to like function after like months of those not working then like I did some physical therapy but at the time like I had already you know gotten pretty addicted so like yeah um, so then you went to heroin. Did
0: you replace that with fentanyl? Never,
1: never fully went to heroin, yeah. I'd fentanyl, Fet- opanas, the- sure, um, yeah. oxys, roxys. Uh, if I didn't have any of that, I mean, literally, I would take 12 to 14 Percocet 10s. Wow. One handful every morning. Dude. You know, that would keep me through the day. And, I mean, plus everything else we were doing on top of it. I mean... At the time, like, I was probably eating mushrooms two, three times a week. Ecstasy a couple times a week. Uh, I tried to stay away from the crack until that super awesome deal fell into my lap. Yeah. Um, I hadn't touched crack in, like, three or four years or something at the time. I think it was, like, three years, two and a half, three years. And uh, one of the people I sold mushrooms and weed to, like... He, I found out they had sold Coke and I get this ounce of Coke and it's like, cause like from when I was doing crack and Coke, like that was back when like there was halfway decent stuff around here. Like you could get ether based Coke and just, I mean, it was super good. And then like, I had seen it around in that span of time, but it was never worth me like getting back into it you know so I just stayed away from it it was easier that way but uh, this dude's stuff like you know bagged up duct taped bagged up duct tape bagged up duct tape like on the table I could smell it yeah and so I think I got that with intentions on selling it and 23 grams three days later I think I ended up selling, like, seven grams out of this ounce of Coke. Wow. The rest I had smoked. I think one person came over for, like, a couple hours one day. Another person came over for a couple hours another day. Other than that, like, yeah, the beast. Yeah. <laughs> the beast consumed it. Yeah. Um, I always call crack, like, my demon. Like, Sure. It's, it, that's the thing that'll kill me. It's the only thing I've almost OD'd off of. Uh, it completely changed me into a different person really like somebody i did not want to be it's the only thing like i've you know that like completely demoralized my morals Mm -hmm. like i don't like to steal from people i don't you know none of that like i would steal from people Mm -hmm. on crack like i would yeah i've always been okay with like stealing from stores and stuff but like when it comes down to like Someone who worked hard for their You know, just families or whatever. Like, I could not do that. You think about that person, whatever, and, like, now they're going to have to buy some more of that or whatever it was, you know. And, like, that's taking food out of their kids' mouths and like that, so. But crack, it just turns off everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was... Especially, like, when you're high. Once you came down, like... Feel a little bad, so regrets. Yeah. Yeah. But like when you were high, like whatever I needed to do to get high, to stay high, you know? Game on. Yeah. And like I was the crack user that like once we had that shit, like I didn't leave it. Like if we were in the kitchen doing it, I was in the kitchen the whole time. I might sit down on the couch for like three minutes. You know, smoke a bowl of weed, and then I'd be like, oh, I need another hit, you know? And I mean, so much of my life just, like, disappeared right there. Sure. The good Ow. news out of all this is, like, after that, like, three-day vendetta the thing or whatever. Grams yeah. to the face. Somewhere in there, like, I had smoked so much crack cocaine that, like, I had had my fill. Sure. You were, like, done. I was, like... I don't need this anymore. <laughs> um, I think I got another <laughs> ounce of coke after that. I might have smoked like a gram or two of it and sold the rest to recover something of the two grand I just lost. Yeah, I was gonna For say. Sure. It sounds like you just took yeah twenty three hundred bucks. And so, uh, I haven't touched it again since. How, how many? How long ago was that? That was all back when I was twenty seven. Sure. Um, right after that time, pretty much, uh, a one-stop shop for drugs, uh, I'd ran into this older lady, we hooked up, she ran her own daycare, uh, I don't know, like, the what we had together, like, it started making me look at myself, and, like, I was, I think part of, like, her to, like... The way, the way drugs affected her or whatever. Because um, she had, like, a messed up back or whatever. Like, so she would do painkillers, too. I started seeing things that I didn't like and I wanted to change about myself. So, like, I slowly started trying to kick the painkillers. And, like, I couldn't get under, like, taking, you know, two tens a day. And even then, by halfway through the day, like, I was hurting again you know and like so I was just trying to like maintain life at the time and then so one of the things I started doing in there was like I used to get fentanyl patches and I could buy them for like 70 bucks or whatever it was cheaper for me to buy a fentanyl patch and wear it for 3 or 4 days than it was to buy the pills Mm -hmm. for me and her for several days and um, anyways like to shorten this part of the story up, like, uh, we used to eat fentanyl patches to get high, and, um, we started eating them so much that, like, it didn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd eat a whole hundred mechagram patch, microgram patch, and not get where I wanted to be. And, and fentanyl
0: was s- kind of like the afterwards of heroin so like your civil war fact you love so much where heroin was created to replace morphine fentanyl was created to do the kind of the same thing to kind of help people with heroin addiction wean their way off but this in that same way they created a more stronger product instead of a weaker product so like fentanyl's heroin times i think it's like a 100 100 times stronger Yeah. yeah 10 to 100 times stronger than heroin and so i mean that's Actually dangerous yeah
1: yeah so because um i didn't want to buy more to eat what we would do is these patches they're transdermal so i would wear it for like an hour or two and then take it off once it starts kicking in your skin and then eat it and then like that would be like bam you know oh okay cool. yeah well uh my girlfriend the couple times we had done that like I didn't like the reaction I was getting from her. Like, it was... She would, like, stop breathing in her sleep and stuff like that. And usually we would do it with alcohol or whatever and all this stuff. And so um, it's creating fights about, you know, I'm wanting to get off of this stuff, wanting her to get off of it. And, you know, like, we're having talks about it and whatnot. Well, one night I went to go get a patch to wear... Cause I was like not eating them anymore at this time, and uh, she wanted a patch to wear. So like you know, argument. End up getting her one, and then like I put hers on. I put mine on. We end up going out that night. I think she only drank like two beers, maybe three beers, and then like I think she had a duck fart at the bar. We went not watch the fights. Like the fights were just starting around here at the time. Uh. She, oh so we go to the fights go to the bar go home and like we're messing around and then like I realize there's no patch on her back and I'm like what you know and she's all oh well I took it off and ate at the bar not thinking anything of it really you know just another night it stops breathing yeah so at this time I'm doing this like um, construction academy course through uh, the job center and I'm you know doing these electrical classes well uh the next morning i got an electrical deal i go to it like when i woke up she was like in this weird position but not like super like you know i didn't think really anything of it. yeah so like i go eat breakfast get dressed blah 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 and like as i'm getting ready to leave like i always did i would give her a kiss, you know. Usually she would wake up, but, like, we drank the night before, so it wasn't uncommon for her to sleep. And, like, I kind of, like, pulled the blanket up because it was kind of shoved down, and I set her phone next to her. i take off to my class. We lived in Saldana. The class was, like, towards uh, North Kenai. And, uh, yeah, like, first break came around. I hadn't had no call from her or nothing, no texts. And, like, I'm texting her and, like got this weird kind of feeling, Um, class starts up again, you know, and then lunch comes around and like by this time, like this feeling has been eating at me. No calls, no texts, not answering. And like, I'm like, dude, I told my buddy at class, I was like, I gotta go home. Like there's something wrong. I just had this feeling, dude. And yeah, I haul ass home Get there, and like she's laying in the same spot, but the thing that's different is like there's no color to her skin whatsoever. And yeah, like she was dead. I ended up calling 911 right away. Um, they told me to like you know get her body off the bed and start giving her CPR. Well, like her body was stiff, like rigor mortis yeah. had already yeah. set in, yeah, she had like. She must have died, like, either right when I left or just before I left or something. I don't know. But, like, and I didn't know anything about ODs then. I didn't know, you know, the stuff I've learned here um, at Serenity House. Yeah, at Serenity. Yeah, Um, about ODs and stuff. Like, I wish I would have known that back then because, like, I remember when, like, I was kissed her or whatever and like tucked her in like I remember hearing this like kind of a gargle? Not a gargle but like air leaving her lungs and I thought she was breathing like that was one of my signs of like oh she's okay you know. Yeah she's breathing. Yeah Yeah. but now knowing what I know like I'm thinking that was like the last of her air leaving her lungs or something. Like she probably could have been saved then but because I didn't know anything like I left And so, yeah, I was, like, the start of this huge downward spiral. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah, I ended up being laid up for, like, a couple months, just, like, crying. Yeah. Hating life. Yeah. Uh, my mom was, like, you know, uh... I was still on pain pills, but like trying to get off them, you know, and so she would like regulate what I would take every day and then like, um, yeah, I remember staring down my 45 a couple times and just being like, I wanted to be with this person, but like at the same time I had these two kids that like, yeah, I didn't want my kids to grow up and, you know, think that they weren't good enough for... You know something like that and so yeah like sometime after this couple month period I'm like I need to get out of the house like I need to get on from this and I ended up uh, going over to friends house just so happens that day his other buddy came over and they had just gotten their first shipment of methamphetamine in the mail from down in the States. And, like, we end up smoking some of that. And I don't feel no pain anymore. And, like, that started this, like, thing. They started getting shipments in. I'm like, I didn't know how to sell shit. Like, I've already got this huge clientele. Like, and so I started slanging their meth for them. And... The, between me and uh, one other guy, like, they didn't even have to sell meth. Like, all they did was sit there and do it. And so, like, yeah, we just slung meth, slung meth, slung meth. And, uh, yeah, next thing you know, um, I'm doing all kinds of stupid shit. run into Homer. Uh, I think it was, like, Memorial Day. And...
0: So, at this point, you're not even really a middleman anymore. You're more of a distributor now. Yeah. So,
1: you're upper management. But I know you're that, the plug. like, I am I know that, like, management. <laughs> I can make more money slanging than I can selling in bulk. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. at the time, I'm kind of, like, greedy. I got this huge clientele. All my customers are, like, pretty freaking loyal because they know, like, I give them fair deals at, you know, and it's good stuff all the time. So, like... I was...
0: And you probably at this
1: point don't take half an hour to text
0: back either. No. No. You're on point.
1: Yeah. And, like, honestly, like, I was kind of so cocky around this time, like, I shut down shop at, like, 9 o'clock. Like, don't call me after (laughs) 9. Like, you know, like, I don't know. It was freaking crazy. I don't even know how, like, I managed all of it sometimes. Uh, I ended up doing some really stupid and i was borrowing my buddy's bmw 5000 or something some kind of bmw sports car uh running to homer on memorial day and like i get pulled over by this cop doing like 75 and a 55 yeah he uh You know, runs everything, gives me a ticket. But, like, when he's going through the car, I had a gun that was registered in my name. A Taurus 1911. And, like, you know, he didn't see no drugs or nothing. So that was, like, really cool. Well, we go to Homer, party for a night, don't sell no drugs, come back next day. And, like, this is, like, one of my first, super near-death experiences that I remember was uh, I used to blow a lot of glass and, like, that was one thing I loved to do was, like, I'd go buy $30, $40 in bong stems and, like, blow glass all night. So we get back from Homer. I'm blowing glass. The last thing I remember is, like, blowing this bubble and it's glowing red and, like, that's it. I don't remember anything else. And it's, like, It's probably, like, 4 o'clock in the morning. And the chick I was sleeping with at the time, like, next thing I remember is her, like, grabbing my leg, shaking it, waking me up. And I'm, like, in this trailer, this big, like, motorhome. And, like, the blowtorch that I was using is on the floor, blowing directly at the cupboards in the motorhome. And there's this curve in the flame, like, keeping the flame, like, I don't know an inch away from the cupboards and what caused that was this little four inch freaking fan that's just so happens to be full bore blowing directly at that flame like Damn. god moment you know like yeah. and so then my next thought is where's that I mean bubble I was blowing like I'm talking like a bubble like this glowing red and so I'm like you know like hoping feeling not, all around I'm hoping I'm not <laughs> scorched looking on the floor, don't see nothing that resembles it, and then so I end up finally standing up and like, three, four inches into the foam bed under my (laughs) is this pipe like melted. Wow. Wow. I don't know how I came out unscathed, dude. Still to this day. So you just passed
2: out or something?
1: Oh yeah, like, I'm talking like and then just like just like that. That's how that happened, like Mm-hmm. I'm surprised like I even remember what I was doing before but that's literally like I think I was tired and I think I closed my eyes like why it was cooling down or something and just gone that's like what I would do that's after my fiance passed away like I don't like dreaming anymore it was nice to stay up so long And then when you crash, you wouldn't have no bad dreams, you know. You would just wake up, and it was like you're awake. Didn't remember nothing. And you'd think, like, that would be enough to, like, rock my socks and, like, get me to, like, think about my life. But it didn't um, take off to Homer the next day, get pulled over by the same cop, patrolling the same mile of road, doing 85 and a 55 this time. And, uh... Just so happens, like, I had taken a hit of weed. Dang. yeah. Just before he pulled me over. Yeah, so he's like, he's on to you. Yeah, so he searches the whole car, knows that I have a gun, and um, I catch two Class B and three Class C felonies. And at the time, any amount of meth you were caught with, it didn't matter if it was, you know, a tenth, it was a jailable offense. So I end up going to jail.
2: And you had quite a bit of stuff on you at that point, or? Oh yeah, you... I
1: had uh, a half a pound of weed. Half of that was bagged up. Um, I had fentanyl patch, uh, bottle of perks, bottle of hydros, uh, DMT, methamphetamine. Wow. And the gun. Wow. Yeah.
0: Probably a scale too, some bags.
1: Yep, yeah. I had it all. Jeez. Uh, so that's the whole. Being 27 though, and never catching a felony in my life. Um, they gave me an SIS, uh, five years probation, which I did not make, uh, ended up getting, so when I got introduced to like AA, NA or whatever, uh, in jail, um, met some of these people in my life that like, I believe I met all them and learned all these things like for a reason then, you know, like I thought when I did that. I think I went to jail for like two months, got out on third party for eight months, and then went back to jail for like six months or so to do this year of time or whatever. I believe like, at that time, like I was willing to change my life and I tried to do this, uh, tried to change it the best I could. Well, yeah, once I got done and got out and I was on probation, like, Spice was really big around then. So I started smoking spice all the time so I could pass my UAs for my PO. That caused a lot of problems. Um, I ended up
2: meeting an old... That sounds bad for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I ended up meeting an old friend for... I mean, meth is uh, bad for you too, but I I mean, (laughs) I think like... So that sounds stupid. I mean no, I can't like <laughs> hey, man, that, you, you shouldn't do that. That's bad that, bad for you. <laughs> well, but I mean it's is...
2: like worse than weed, like health wise, I think oh, is what well, spice is super bad, really bad. It's come
0: a hundred percent synthetic. Like literally yeah. all it is is it comes in a spray and all these people do is they spray it over potpourri or, you know, any kind of leafy substance. Dominia. Yeah, whatever yeah. they wanna put it on. And you smoke it, so it's literally pretty much a liquid. You know, it's super synthetic so, and super bad for you. When
1: I was on third party for eight months, uh, JWH eighteen was the first chemical they came out with to make spice, sure. and like they were going to make it illegal. So I ordered a load of it online, ordered all the shit to make it, and so, like, like um, I started making dark dark web. Yeah, uh, not really. It was legal at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. And so I. Started making that and smoking it and whatever. And, I mean, dude, I would smoke the chemical straight, like this powder. Straight. Like, anything to get up, you know. And still Dangerous, pass my UAs. Yeah. So, like, for two years, I, I think almost two and a half years, I successfully did my probation. Smoking spice the whole time. Sure. Um, in that time, I uh, met an old friend at NA... We skipped an NA meeting, she got pregnant, like, first time we slept together. Ended up having my son. She was in jail, like, when she went into labor. Uh, Cause
2: you, I mean, you skipped the NA meeting and obviously hooked up, but you guys were using too?
1: No, actually. You guys,
2: you guys were still clean?
1: I was using Spice, she yeah. wouldn't do Spice or anything, yeah. but um, later I ended up finding out, like, she was getting high with, sure. like, her aunt and yeah, we had my son. Um, we're living at my mom's. The spice is causing a problem. My mom kicks me out. Really? Uh, she's still so on... So your
2: mom had been clean for... Yeah. Because you said it took her a year or two to get off the crack, like, when yeah. you guys first, you know... So she had been clean for, what, eight years then? Um, or something like that? I mean... Probably,
1: like, five years okay. or something. Yeah, and so
2: she's, like, got her boundaries, man. She's clean. Yeah. She's like, sorry,
1: miss me with that. Yeah, so... My girlfriend's still on third party with her. She gets her aunt as another third party. Starts uh, when I'm like living on the streets, kind of hustling, you know, doing what I do. Kind of. And so at this point,
2: when you got kicked out, you were still were you still on some form of probation? Yeah. So you. So and my would, PO knew a, yeah.
1: that I was living on the streets, but I was still passing my UAs. Because were
2: you still doing Spice? Because that's what I'm yeah. thinking. I'm thinking you go to the streets,
1: you start selling drugs again to make money. I was just selling Spice, though. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. I'm always yeah. selling something. Yeah. Like, And at the time, like I had a lot of scams that we would do. Uh, I could go to Home Depot, jack a whole bunch of return it for a home depot card take that home depot card take it over to safeway they give you 60 cents on the dollar so i could go get 400 dollars worth of and turn it into like 325 or sure. something like that yeah and i had a lot of scams like that dude i, I was just always had this hustle going I'm, like, going to give my baby mama, like, my last hundred dollars, you know, living on the street. Like, that's a lot. Like, you know, I could do so much with this, but I'm going to give it to you for diapers and And Like, the whole day it's this battle of, like, us trying to hook up so I can give her this money. And uh, I'm finally, like, in a position where I can meet her. And, like, I call her phone, and this dude answers the phone. And he's like, what are you doing bothering my girlfriend? And I'm like what like all day this chick's telling (laughs) me she loves me and all this and i'm like "Mm, she's been seeing this dude this other whole other time since she's been living at her aunt's probably even before and so uh that was it like i was like this probation like started using meth again Mm -hmm. and you know uh i did the rest of my time because uh once i blew my sis I think I kept it after the first um, deal. I just pretty much quit checking in with my PO, which was stupid. She told me, like, your next check-in, I was going to give you the um, paperwork to get off probation early. So, like, I would have had to do six more months, and I would have been, like, off two years early or something, three years early, whatever. Um, Anyways, uh, I quit checking in with her, started staying at... uh, some dealer's houses, you know, like new dealers. So like that don't really knew that, didn't really know that I dealt, you know, like I would just kind of helping them out, you know, watching their place, helping them, you know, sell and whatever. And then like, after a couple months, something would happen, I'd get picked up and I'd do like a month in jail, which would come off my time and then like, I'd get out, not check in, go straight back at it. You know, I think I got out for like three or four months and then ended up doing, you know, another four months or something. And then eventually I ended up uh, getting popped. I was gonna have to do my flat time, like the rest of my time. And I think they were trying to hit me with um, two years or something or three years. But I had to do two on the three, and I had had like 21 months racked up at this time. So uh, I ended up saying it, and um, I threw a deal at the DA. They denied it. I think it was for like 15 months of my remaining time, <clears throat> and the they denied it. Well, I told my lawyer, I want to go to open sentencing where is where the judge yeah. sentences you. There's yeah. no deals, no nothing. Mm-hmm. So um, the next day, they have me back in court. I'm sitting there waiting to be sentenced by the judge, and the DA comes at me with this deal for 12 months. And I'm like, what? Like, You just denied a 15-month deal, like. Next day, you're throwing 12 months at me? Like, I'll take it. That time was done, like, three months ago, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I get out jail that day. No probation, no nothing. And wow. Dude. So weird. I run into an old friend, you know, gives me a really good job working for his dad. And then that it was on, like, Donkey Kong. I think I borrowed, like, $100 from him that day. Um, start slanging, we're making, we're working full time like six days a week, ten hours a day, making three trips to Anchorage a week, um, the whole game's like getting bigger. I didn't really dabble in anything else, it was straight methamphetamine. There would be days where like we had been up for so long, I would uh, I remember like looking at the clock, I'd be like alright, he should be here in a half hour to pick me up for work. So I'd sit down in a chair, try and, like, rest my body up a little bit. Next thing you know, like, I'm waking up. It's, like, you know, 20 minutes before you're supposed to be here for work. And, like, I'm looking around. Like, the lightness is the same outside because it's, you know, summertime and whatever. And, like, I'm waiting. Never shows up. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Next thing I know, like, um, I was staying at my mom's at the time because I just kind of recently got released out of jail, like, and she didn't know like quite what I was doing yet, you know? Yeah, I'm like, hey mom, has Lonnie showed up here yet? Cause like I dozed off for that 10 minutes, maybe he was here and she's all, uh, Micah, we like tried to wake you up, you know? It was 12 hours later, like, this band had went by. Um, Dang. I ended up like, just. Sleeping for like 20 hours or what? No, it Way was back, yeah. straight up, it was eight o'clock at night. He was supposed to pick me up at like seven twenty or seven forty in the morning. It was like seven forty at night. Yes, and like yeah, they were trying to wake me up and everything. I didn't even know like that's what I would do. That's why you know, did the meth thing. I ended up dating the stripper that worked at Charlie's. Freaking, that was all bad. (laughs) <laughs> um that was all bad start saying <laughs> <Enough> in <laughs> like all the trap houses around the area um one of the po's or he wasn't a po um he did like ankle monitoring shit, uh pre-trial ankle monitoring lived above one of the trap houses like i'm like this i don't know dude that's living on the streets so and wears halfway decent clothes and like a new face and so like Getting asked questions about you know all kinds of things. Um, I ended up like uh, hooking up with another girl, kind of starting to like really do things now. The buddy that was getting me stuff like he uh, didn't he didn't have like a handle on it like I did. I started making money um, within three years like. I had over $50,000 in stuff and whatever, like had my own property I was renting, Uh, had a couple trailers I owned, generators, solar panels, battery banks, like people call my place the compound. And then like, yeah, I don't know. Um, My place ended up burning down. I lost everything. That should have been like this other eye-opening thing and it wasn't Um, caused a lot of problems between me and my girlfriend that I had been with the last three and a half years Uh, we ended up oh, some other things happened she ended up going to jail um, because like I was trying to kinda like fix the relationship when she gets out of jail like I kinda want to get us away from this like wreckage of the past this burnt down property with this that's devastating you know all our there and i uh get one of my mom's friends to let us stay at her trailer and in that time me and my ex end up splitting up. well me and my girlfriend at the time end up splitting up and like i had my next like death defying should have woken me up kind of thing like I remember I had been up for a couple days, I just got done smoking, and like, I was like, I need to go to sleep for a little while, you know? And so I remember starting a fire, and then kind of kicking back, passing out. Next thing you know, like, and usually like, I wouldn't, these other stories I've told you, I'm not wakeable, like, unless I'm ready to wake up, I don't wake up. And like, I don't know, about a half hour after I had passed out, like, I remember like feeling all this heat on me. It's almost like someone woke me up, but nobody was there to wake me up, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I opened my eyes and I remember just seeing these two pillars of fire and like, like at the time, like in that flash of a second, I was like, oh my God, I'm being judged, like I'm at the gates of fire hell like you know this is it like this was my life you know done story and um, then like you know the next couple seconds go around and I'm like holy shit this place is on fire like the um, fireplace was like too close to the wall kind of thing the um, barrier or whatever that protects the wall like the wall behind it was on fire and so yeah I like panic go grab a hose put the out There wasn't much damage or nothing but like i ended up uh going to jail again um because the last time i got released from jail i was supposed to do like uh get an assessment that's what that was one of my cop outs like uh Whenever they would be like, oh, well, you need to do treatment, I would be like, you can't tell me I need to do treatment. Like, only a counselor can tell me that. I'll go get an assessment, you know. And so... uh, And then
0: never show up to your assessment?
1: Well, a lot of times I would. And, like, I would manipulate the person doing it. And, you know, they would be like, oh, you need this many classes. And I would comply with that, you know, and then get off. Because I didn't... I think it had been so long... Waiting to get the assessment, they were so booked up. Like, eventually, I just quit calling. A couple months goes by, and like, um, I'm off the burnt down property. I'm not staying with the lady in Clam Gulch anymore. Um, I'm staying at a friend's house, and like, end up getting picked up on a warrant that's like several months old. Some bogus, like, trying to help somebody out kind of thing. Car runs out of gas. Walking back to my buddy's house, and uh, yeah, I end up so I end up getting picked up because my the dude I was helping was drunk, caused this scene at this store. I'm like, this, I'm out, and I'm walking literally like I don't know, an eighth of a mile from my friend's house, and this cop pulls up with that drunk dude in the back of the car. I'm just like, oh, so, anyways, like this time, like I had gotten off of so many charges. You know, uh, when I go to jail, my sentence is, um, I was looking at a minimum of four years up to 10 years. And so like, first thing I do, I've been to jail a lot, you know, first thing you do is go bail review, you know, like, let's get this adjusted. My bail was like $10,000 or something. Um, I was like, if I can bail out, you know, I can make some money, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, when I go to the bail review, this was like the eye opener. Um, The DA said, Your Honor, don't drop his bail. We're going to hit him with 10 years. And I was like, Oh, you know. That was like, yeah, that was like, okay, I'm not around anymore. Like, this is it. Like, and all the way up to this time, like, I never seen myself doing anything different like I figured this was always going to be a part of my life like I thought I was gonna be the old dude living in the trailer you know always looking for that high and my next thing is like all right well I got all this everywhere scattered everywhere like I need to get out on third party I haven't really talked about my dad very much this whole time but like so me and my dad don't get along Never, I mean, we used to, but then like, you know, it had happened or whatever. And uh, so I hadn't talked to my dad in like three years at this time. And like, and you
2: hit him up. Hey dude, can I get 10 G's? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, no, like, uh, so th- what happened was um, this time in jail, like I had started looking back on these near death experiences, all this, these charges that I had gotten off of, like by the skin of my teeth. And for some reason, like one day in jail, I was like, I knew they played movies up in the chapel. And like one day I'm like, Oh, I wonder what they're playing up there. Like sometimes it was good. And they were having this service. And I like, it's like, you know what? F- it. I'm gonna go and check it out. And I go and sit down and like, I don't know it like that kind of opened my eyes to things. And like, I had to like, realized, the first realization was that someone was looking out for me. Not only, like, keeping me out of jail for long periods of time, but, like, my life. And, like, then I kind of had to look at, like, nobody was, nobody could help me at the time. The only person I could even reach out to was my dad. And I had to look at this situation to even, like, get, I don't know, to forgive him enough to even call him to ask him for anything. You know, and I ended up realizing that everything he did, he did because he loved me. You know, he did it to the best of his ability, his capacity or whatever. And I I called him up knowing that he's more than likely going to say no. Uh, and he ended up, yeah, I, I was just like, you know, Dad, I know we don't see eye to eye, blah, blah, blah. I know there's a lot of hard <laughs> And... Yeah, he ended up third partying me out for a week, which was horrible, but I got my shit taken care of and I remanded back to jail. Didn't use any drugs that whole time. Remanded back to jail, looking at 10 years. Once I got back to jail, like my only option is to find a way to get uh, lesser charges. Uh, I started looking into my case, looking at the new statutes. Senate bill 91 was just coming into effect. Found out that the amount that I had was like way more than like the amount required to charge me with what they did. The only thing that got me off was I didn't have baggies and I didn't have a scale. Everything I had was in one container, and so like I so got you this. Get
0: that intent to distribute. Yeah, right. I got
1: this mix two dropped, and so all they had was a mix four on me, which was a misdemeanor. I get out of jail. And the deal that I made, once they dropped the Mix-2, the DA said that they wanted me to do inpatient treatment. And instead of pulling that cop out like I always did, I'll go get an assessment. Like, at this time, I had seen these things and, you know, whatever, and I agreed to it. And, like, I knew I was, like, 34 years old. Like, I knew I needed to make a change in my life. At this time, all of my kids were in OCS cases. It was, uh... Their moms weren't doing super good. And so, like... I had been f-ing off for the last 18 years, you know? And... I figured it was time to grow up. And so I... I still, I think, used, like, one or two times, three times after that. But, like, I was trying to, you know, cut it out. And, uh... Yeah, I came here, um, filled out the applications, called every day like I was supposed to, and I think it took like a month or something, but they got me in. It was probably the best thing I ever did in my life. Like I almost guarantee it was the best thing I ever did in my life. Like
0: coming to Trinity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I uh, I've got I'll have 16 months on the fourth. which is uh, super awesome. Never thought I could have done it. All those people that, like, you know, made these impressions in my life prior to this, like, one of my big fears about going to treatment, because I heard all these horror stories about Serenity House or whatever, was, like, I'm not going to know anybody there, you know, all this stuff. Like, who can sell drugs in this town for this long and not know over you know i ended up knowing like over half the freaking people in there yeah. you know
0: that's what we've noticed man that's uh the recovery community here is super connected just talking to some other people and you no know, matter what community you're in there's always community you know it's it's pretty interesting even like in this in this light of community that the, a lot of people look at you know and kind of not necessarily push aside, but don't really even want to look at it at all. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's a side. It's a side of life that people they don't want to necessarily like. They don't want to look down on it. They just don't even want to look at it. Yeah, it's not something they want to talk about. But it's and it's cool to see like the people that are in it though have found their connectivity and because you know like it is like selling drugs for so long and being in that like you said it's a lifestyle yeah yeah i mean you get roped in with a lot of the same people a lot of the same things a lot a lot of like-minded people yeah in a community yeah and it's funny that you say that you know i wasn't i was afraid i wasn't gonna see anybody then you get here and you see a bunch of people you know so it's like this big transition no matter where you go you know life's brought you there for a reason like there's people that are in your exact same situation here there's people that you know you know here and that it's it is still a big community regardless of where you're at as mm-hmm. long as you're willing to be a part of it
1: this disease like it affects everybody in one aspect or another and like you know how they say like the first thing i had to change was everything like that's <laughs> what i had to do literally like i was scared i, I think it was after like 30 days you know, Serenity House is like, well, you know, are you ready to go yet? You know? And I'm like, nah, I'm not ready to go. You know? More time passes. Like, I ended up staying there like 56 days. And the only reason I honestly left and said that I was ready to go was because, like, at the time, like, you could smoke cigarettes there. The day before I got out, like, they were going to quit smoking there. And so I was like, "All right, I better get out." Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. (laughs) Hold up. The only reason I even agreed to come here was because you could smoke cigarettes here. Like, otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. And so, like,
0: yeah, everything happened. Cigarettes, like, cigarettes for a lot of people in recovery that we've talked to. You know, it seems like it's that it's that acceptable vice you get to hold on to. You know what I mean? Because from that perspective, it's one of those things like man, all I want to do is get high. All I want to do is, you know, I just want to put my patch on. I just, you know, just a hit, you know, just a point. Like, if I just get my hands on a point, you know what I mean? And it's like, but then you get here, like, I can't do any drugs. I can't get high. They don't let me drink, dude. At least just let me have a cigarette. (laughs) So, like, I can totally understand that, you know what I mean? Like, these people aren't even going to let me smoke, bro. Like, there's just not people I don't even want to hang out with, you know, for 56 uh... days.
2: When I was 16, I went to, I did 30 days inpatient in a in a facility in Montana, and you could, you could smoke cigarettes, but the teenagers, because I was in, like, an adult facility, but they would only let, they wouldn't let teenagers, but you could get a special permission from your parents, uh. and I was pissed at my mom, <laughs> like, I was so pissed, I was like, you better give me permission, like, I'm gonna stop doing drugs, like... So, like, the least you can do is let me smoke some cigs. And she's like, you are 16. You are not smoking cigs. And I'm like, this person's mom, when he went to rehab, she signed
1: for him. <laughs> <laughs> No, I had a homie. <laughs> I had a homie wow. that had gone
2: to rehab like a couple times <laughs> oh by now. Oh, my and God. And his mom always signed. And I was like, well, this mom, like, let this guy, like, he got to. Well, that worked. No, you're not going to get to. You're not going to get to. Well, obviously, bro, like, you go outside, like, there's all these dudes Smokers. in recovery smoking a cigarette. They're like, and obviously, you know who to hit up and who not to. Like one, yep. like our yeah. Instead of so like, hey George, like, we get a couple of drags of that. Oh, okay, <laughs> like
1: just, <laughs> just like ripping it, dude. I've never like tried to smoke oh anything gosh.
2: that fast in my life until it was like banned at rehab. So Working yeah, I get that, dude. That's, <laughs> It was like. <laughs> you know no, yeah so dude i get that man like i was so it was like so i just remember being so mad at my mom so yeah i get that dude you're like okay all i got right now i'm like going through all this scrap all i got is like to be able to smoke a cigarette and now it's like yeah guys we're, yeah that's gonna be done tomorrow you're like well folks i think i'm I, i'm feeling good man i got exactly, yeah
1: <laughs> Still, like, usually they want you to have your fourth and fifth step done before you leave, and, like, I think I was, like, halfway through it, and I was like, oh, sure, I'll take off, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, uh, honestly, like, you know, that cautiousness I had, there was things I was trying to hold on to, like, at first, because, you know, I was a dealer, like, I didn't want to give rid of all my phone numbers, like, <laughs> I didn't want to change my phone number, I wanted that option for someone to call me, so, like... I could go get f***ed up again. But Mm -hmm. um, what I ended up realizing was like that fear that I started developing about going back out and using was healthy. And then so these recommendations that my sponsor and stuff was giving me was like stuff I could do to prevent these things that I was like still in the back of my mind wanting to hold on to. So that's what I did was I... I changed my phone number I went through deleted I don't know how many phone numbers Facebook people like everything Um, I was living with this lady that went to a church and like that was like changed my environment the I made recovery in a way my life for a good solid like six months Like, I was living in Sterling, would catch a ride into town every day, hit yoga meditation, hit the morning group, stay in town, hit the night group or a night meeting. I would always hit the nooner meeting every day. On, you know, Seeking Safety Night, I would walk to K Beach from Soldatna and hit that and, like... I did nothing but groups and meetings and counseling and yoga and meditation for, like, six months.
0: And that seems to be a really common theme about people who do overcome is that they do 100%. Even the stuff that doesn't seem like there's really a point to it. It's like, oh, I already went to a meeting this morning. Like, do I really need to go to another one? But when people really give it 100%, it seems to, to just be overwhelmingly positive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, when... That first six months, like, I was doing anywhere from 11 to 13 groups a week. I think the requirement was, like, I don't know, six or something or whatever. And I was doing, like, between seven and nine meetings a week. And sometimes, dude, I would hit three of those in, like, a day. Like, I'd do the nooner do a night meeting and then like that one would get done right before another night meeting so I go and hit that one and like being keen not knowing how I'm gonna get back to Sterling and like something would just work out like because I walked everywhere like everybody who always says you know don't follow your will like follow God's will and I'm like well how do you know what's God's will how do you follow this like if I'm thinking of it in my head doesn't that make it my will you know so then like one of the ways I learned to practice this was like instead of going around and asking for rides, you know, that I chose, like, I would just start walking and then like after I'd get tired of walking, I would be like literally like out loud uh, walking down the road. I'd be like, God, I could really use a ride right now. And uh, I think the fastest time that a ride pulled over was like 20 seconds the longest it ever took was like about 10 minutes but i probably did that over 30 times and every time like more than 90 percent of the time it would probably be within five minutes every time someone would pull over and like i always knew that whoever that person was was someone that god put in my life you know some of them were old friends some of them were old using friends but like When that happened, like, I was strong enough in my recovery to where, like, all I could do was tell them what good I was getting in my life, all the benefits and stuff, and, like, spread the message, you know? Mm -hmm. One of them was, like, my sister that I hadn't seen in, like, you know, 10-plus years, you know? (laughs) Like, just whoever it was, it was always somebody that, like, I would guess I was ready to see at that time. And, like, I don't know. Eventually, that ended up fading out. Uh... I don't really go to meetings much anymore. Um, but like all this stuff from my recovery is paying off. And like, I don't know. I think one of the things that makes it so kind of easy for me is I'm like really grateful for what I have. Like I had never really been much in my kids' lives. And now like my daughters are living with me. Like, My son's getting ready to move in. And I'm the only like completely clean person in their life. Yeah. And it's awesome to be able to set this example for them and um, to like be there, you know. That's incredible. Um, I'm still not like a super healthy person. Like I still listen to all the freaking music that I used to listen to before. Like, I look at it in a different light, definitely. You know, like, before when I would listen to it, like, it was like, yeah, this is what I do, you know? Now yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No. I no, like yeah. this song, <laughs> but like, I'm glad I don't live that life anymore, you know? Yeah. One song I've really been like, really digging lately is uh, this guy named Madchild. He's a Canadian rapper. And, like, he sings a song called Painful Skies. And, like, I feel like it's my life. Like, this step mad child used to be really addicted to drugs. And, like, now he's clean or whatever. And, like, that's what it's about. It's about, like, you're not the man you used to be. And you're still not yet the man that you're becoming. Mm. And, like, I love it, dude. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's super, like, inspiring and... I just feel like that's my life now. Like I'm on this path of greatness in a way where like I can become the man that I've always wanted to be to where like all the way up until I got clean, like I was only ever given half (laughs) like that was one thing that like my sponsor said that really made me like you know, kind of think about things, like, when I first did my first, like, steps, like, one, two, three, it started making me look at my life in a different light, because, like, before, I was always, I was a halfway decent person, like, I didn't steal from people, you know, like, I gave everybody a fair deal, I didn't rip people off, and so, like, I'm, like, I'm pretty good, you know, like, most people, like, liked me, you know, and then doing those first couple steps, four steps or whatever, like, my sponsor kind of made me realize, like, I used people. I took advantage of them. I held them up to a standard that I didn't hold myself. The jobs that, like, I lost, like, I was a hard worker, but I never gave it my all because I was fucked up all the time, you know? Yeah. So it started making me see me for what I really was, not this, like, image that I thought I was. Yeah. And uh, those first four steps like really just weighed heavy on me, you know, like people have this pyramid of wreckage that they create under themselves like, you know, you're a drug user, you uh, steal and hurt all these people like that are connected to you and then like it kind of trickles down into this pyramid, right?
2: People connected to them. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. yeah. Kids, whatnot. Chain of pain.
1: When you're like a dealer, you have this pyramid that's like Giza, dude. It's like huge. And because what you do affects these people, which affects these people, which affects these people. which, And it's like it's set in heavy on me. And like I realized that these things I thought that made me a super awesome person. Really in a different light. Yeah, they would have. But in this light, all it did was cause more wreckage, more pain. You know, it was fake. And so now today, like I want to take all these good qualities that I have and use them to do good. Like now I try and help people whenever I can. You know, like if I see somebody that is putting in the effort to do good themselves and to get on that better path, like, I'll do whatever I can for that person, you know? Give them a ride to work, take them, help them move, whatever, like, it doesn't matter. So, and I like that, like, I like my life today. I am content being bored, which is, was one of my biggest things for using before was like, if I was bored, it's like, man, I need to get up, you know, like. (laughs) We yeah. need to make this fun somehow. Mm-hmm. And now, like, I'm content being bored, which yeah. is something I never thought I would ever be. You know, It was hard to live with myself. Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah,
2: so I was going to say, you know, that's one of the things that I've had to think about, too. It's like, because sometimes I'll get bored and, like, I'm super okay with it. And then other times I'm not okay with it. And I'm like, why the difference? I think sometimes, you know, when you are bored, like, you got to be with you. Maybe some days you like yourself, and some days you're not really digging it, you know. And I think like when you say like I'm content with being bored, it's like one way to say it is like you're kind of content to be with you, which I think is huge, you know. Yeah, it's
1: a big step for real.
2: Because it sounds like you know a lot of people they they're that are using heavily or you know do that a lot. Like they're not very content to just be with them, you know. And they need to numb out. They need to be like. In some kind of like party dynamic or something, but like being alone and feeling your feelings and thinking your own thoughts, like that's hard. And now, like, you're kind of there. Yep. It's just big.
0: I mean, I don't even, in a sense, it is, but I don't even think that's strictly for people in recovery, thing either. You know what I mean? I think that spans wide. You know, some people bury themselves in work, some people bury themselves in their families, or just find a way to not have to think about themselves and the things they actually want to deal with. You know what I mean? Some people just, you know, choose to bury themselves in a different way. You know, you choose not to feel in a different way. Mm-hmm. Drugs are a great way not to feel. Yep. You know what I mean? And they're stigmatized. But, and it is, I guess, different than burying yourself in work and burying yourself in this because you become successful in a, successful in a societal setting if you bury yourself in work, or if you bury yourself in your family, then you know you're a super mom, or you're you know the CEO or whatever. But in a very raw form, people—it's
2: kind of, all treating the same thing. Exactly, yeah,
0: it's an unwillingness to just self-reflect, be honest with yourself, and then actually make a real change within yourself, sure. versus just covering something
1: up. So you're pretty much what you're saying is that same person that's a workaholic, if at some point in their life. If they would have, you know, hurt their back and got on pain meds or whatever, you know, and made that decision to take that first drug, like their lives could have been a whole different.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. It's a whole new vice. Yeah, Yeah. whole new vice. Yeah.
1: Like you'll see a lot of these things about: is drug addiction a disease or is it a choice? And like these people just battle it out. Like it's a disease. It's a choice. It's a disease. It's a choice. You know what? it's both yeah it's It's a disease that starts with a choice like yeah you know (laughs) but uh yeah like at that same time the only way to cure that is to make another choice and it's a choice that starts the whole rest of your life of making good choices like not necessarily all the time but like making the choice not to pick up that drug that's like the only thing that I do now is like, there's, I've been clean for like almost 16 months now. And there's still not a day that doesn't go by to where like, I don't think about that stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but like everything I've received, all the good, like I used to live every day with pain because of my bulged and herniated disc. Like every day I would wake up with pain and like I don't know. For a long time, I remember all I would do is pray about for like, cause I'm ADHD and everything. Like I would pray for God to heal my brain and my body. And like, you know, and then I would thank him for all the good he's done for other people and and me and whatnot. And I would pray for other people that needed it. Now, like I don't wake up with pain.
0: Wow. Well, Ninja, that was awesome, man. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming and recording with us today. And it was awesome to hear your story, and man, it's definitely going to impact some some people and in their own recovery as well. Thank you very much for listening. This was Unai for the Kenai.